so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. All right. Happy Constitution Day, everybody. Hope you're having a fantastic day. We normally don't date our shows, but Constitution Day is important. To me, it's as important as the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, Christmas and Easter. America's dead and forgotten documents, the Constitution, and I say dead or forgotten because most Americans don't understand what this is. The Constitution, the key document that chains government, the government created by the people for the people. Joining me today is Paul Engel. You might know him from the Constitutional Studies Show. He is an expert in the Bible and the Constitution, two of my favorite reading materials. Paul, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's great. We uh, just did the Voice of the Nation that'll go on, and it's just there's so much to cover. And your book is headlined on the front page of uh, America Out Loud Network, and they can pick that up there, too. Why don't you give a little brief summary of what your book's about? Well, to give you a little history, the, the idea of a Constitution study came to me many years ago. I was I was driving home from a Bible study from a friend's house. Now, I'd, I'd already spent some time reading and studying the Constitution and realizing not only how much I had not learned in school, but how much of what I'd been taught was wrong. When I was, I'm driving home and I'm listening to a podcast and I hear this report uh, coming out of the First Amendment Center. And in, 2000, in their 2013 survey, they asked 1,000 Americans to name the five freedoms protected by the First Amendment. And 36% of them could not name a single freedom, not one. And I found that discouraging. What are we going to do? And I said, I'm sitting there thinking to myself going, God, why don't we study the Constitution the way my friends and I just studied the Bible? And that was the answer. It's the, the idea behind the Constitution study is, listen, if 18th century farmers could understand the Constitution, why not 21st century farmers? And and, and bricklayers and pipe fitters and teachers and everyone else. The problem is we've been brainwashed with this idea that only lawyers and judges could possibly understand this mystical, mythical document out there, which isn't true. You can read the Constitution about 30 minutes. You can find it free and from several locations. It's available online. And when we read and study the Constitution, one of our founding fathers, John Jay, said that every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country, teach a rising generation to be free by knowing their rights, so sooner perceive when they are violated, be the better prepared to defend and assert them. And I'm like, that's it. We just need to learn as Americans. Forget the school system. 
That's a the government education system is never going to teach you what the Constitution actually says. You can read it, you can study it, and then tools so that we can help us with that understanding, right? Because we're always going to have questions. We're always going to have things we're still trying to figure out. So when I wrote my book, it is a a clause by clause study of the Constitution. It's actually the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and it's written so that everyday people can read it. It's conversational English. It's not, it's not designed for the halls of academia. It's designed for everyday people to read and understand and better grasp this document that is so important, not just to the formation of our country, but to the protections of our rights and freedoms. You know, decades ago, Paul, I decided to research and study and just throw myself fully into the founding fathers and the path they walked. So my book, Origins of Liberty, on the back cover, I pose this question. The biggest question we face as a nation and even as a world is where our liberties come from. Governments throughout the world want us to believe it comes from them because then they can easily take it away from us. The founders of America made numerous statements that America, its constitution, the Bill of Rights, originated through God's inspiration. One may ask why that's important. The question determines if we are all equal under divine rule or can be made less equal under man's rule. So what I did in my book is I traced liberty back to the Bible and I walked the path of the founding fathers and how they came up with the precepts for the Constitution. So we're sort of on the same page um, on wanting to do this. And then in my religion, our, our kids go on mer- missions for two years. They go out of the country or to another state. We fund them ourselves. It's not paid for by the church. They spend two years teaching um, others about religion. Well, I'm like, disciples of liberty are needed just as much as disciples of Christ. So I wanted people to understand that they have to fight and defend and teach and preach the Constitution. And that's where we are here today with Constitution Day. Now, Constitution Day also came with a mandate, which is laughable, that every agency that receives federal funds, including the Department of Education, the military, on September 17th should, well, not should, they have to teach the Constitution. (laughs) Do you see that happening in schools today, Paul? Well, no. In, in fact, it, it, it's pretty funny. I live in, in Tennessee and in Tennessee, by the way, most of the states have very similar laws that say in that say in, the schools must teach a module on the Constitution somewhere around Constitution Day. Uh, I've tried for years to get into my local school district. I've, I've contacted the, the superintendent multiple times says, I will come in for free, absolutely free. I will do a you want me to do an hour? Do you want me to do the day? You want me to hit multiple classes? What do you want? I will come and help expose your students to the Constitution itself. And I get, you know, crickets. I don't even get crickets. But, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's so interesting to me that, uh, well, it's, I should say it's, it's not so much interesting. It's not surprising because let's face it. Most of these programs, most of these, you talk about schools, you're talking about other organizations, they're government run. We call them public, but they're really run by the government. And why would a government want to teach its members about a document that says the government serves the people rather than the people serving the government? Oh, I, I agree. It's, it's 100%. I, I loved that when you said it earlier. 
on the Voice of a Nation that why would a government want to teach people that the people are in charge and not them? It, it makes sense because for decades on the radio, I've been telling people how government is the most ineffective opportunist I've ever seen because as business owners or anybody who's ever been in management knows, you wouldn't hire a manager that totally collapses your business and leave them in power. Yet we elect people all the time and leave them in power as they um, destroy our liberties and freedom and put us deeper and deeper in debt. It's just totally nonsensical to me how we treat government differently than how we treat any other aspect of our life. Well, and I think that's because maybe not directly, but indirectly, we've been trained, we've been taught that we serve government, that, that it, it rules us, it masters us, that we are there to fulfill its wishes. And we never stop to think, you know, when I was in school, we were taught about elections. In fact, I remember in elementary school, I lived in New York City at the time. I remember they would take, they took all of our classes right about um, election day because the, the elections were held in the public school cafeterias. So they'd have the machine set up and they'd bring the students in the day before to show us the machines and how they worked and how everything is like, oh, it's a big deal. You go vote. You know what I was never taught in school? In fact, I was never taught until I figured this out for myself. Elections are hiring. When we, when we, we are a republic, which means we, the people, choose, choose representatives to exercise our sovereign power for us. We hire them via elections. They are our employees. Now, imagine walking into your employee's office, being told to, I'm sorry, the employee says, I'm busy, sit down, shut up, wait your turn. I will tell you when I will meet with you. I will tell you what I can and cannot do. It's insane. But again, we don't think of them as our, you start thinking of your elected representatives as your employees and your whole attitude about them about what, what, who I will and will not vote for, what are my criteria for vetting them, what I expect of them, it changes when you realize that they are there to work for us, not the other way around. You know, it's interesting to me. My parents immigrated here from Holland after World War II and both of them being work camps with the Germans. And my mother, before she died, passed away in 2010, said, I see... America turning into Europe when the Germans took over, but it's the American government taking over. And a lot of people are are scared right now out there. A lot of the listeners, we understand you're scared because this mandate for vaccines and everything else. Well, I want to tell you, freedoms are never lost until you let it be lost. You don't have to give in. They'll make it as uncomfortable as you can. Some companies will jump on board and say, you can't come into here. I went, I'm going to tell you a story. I went out to dinner with one of my business professionals and the restaurant in Salt Lake City asked me where my vaccine card was. And I said, well, first, before we go there, since hepatitis A is such a serious thing among food industries. Can you prove to me that everybody inside your restaurant has been vaccinated for hep? And then also since there, it is illegal to hire and give sanctuary to illegals, 
can you prove to me that everybody in your restaurant is documented? And they're like, you can't ask for that legally. And I said, and you can't ask for my vaccine card. I'll be sitting over there. Please send a waiter over. And I went in and sat down. (laughs) And they just didn't know what to do. It's like, I wasn't ornery. I didn't threaten. I just demanded service and demanded the respect for my rights. And the funny part is, you're right. Most people have no clue how to react to someone who actually knows their rights. Uh, Back in March of 2020, uh, right when this COVID nonsense started, I had an event in a neighboring county. And I I showed up. I set up my table. I got all my stuff on there. And the coordinator comes by and says, listen, the county just the other day passed a, a mass mandate. We're on private property. We should be okay, but we're right on the road. We don't know what the police are going to do. I looked her square in the eyes. I don't care that mass mandates illegal. It's void. In fact, if they try to enforce it, that's a federal crime. And I handed her a piece of paper. I call it my knowing your rights placard. And it showed, oh, by the way, here's the, the, the constitutional amendment you violated here. Here's what you did there. Oh, by the way, here's the federal law, Title 18, United States Code 242. It is a federal crime under under. Uh, any law or regulation or rule to deprive someone of a right protected by the Constitution. By the way, that can be punishable by a fine and up to a year in jail. Um, that's just the beginning. And the look on her face was, okay. And she just said, listen, if the police show up, we're sending them to your table. I said, fine. I was prepared. Most Americans are not. I, I refer to the Constitution as our legal authority to look at our government and say, no. We did not authorize this. We did not approve this. We did not delegate to you that power. Therefore, that power is void. I will not comply. In fact, I've actually purged my vocabulary of the term civil disobedience. I want peaceful noncompliance. I am not going to apply with comply with a law that is not valid, that is void. And most people, when you confront them with that, they kind of have to take a step back. They're not, they're, they're not used to someone actually knowing what their rights are, knowing how to defend them and knowing how to assert them. You know, one of the other topics that came up and you responded to Malcolm on the Voice of the Nation was that the states are the ultimate power. We, the states rely on courts. Let's sue the federal government because that talk's going on now. But if you look at one of the founders, the most influential, Thomas Jefferson, when he drafted the Kentucky Resolutions... He said, where powers are assumed which have not been delegated, a nullification of the act is the rightful remedy. He also said, the states alone being parties to the federal compact are solely authorized to judge in the last resort of the powers excised under it. Congress being not a party, but merely the creation of the compact and subject as to its assumptions of power to the final judgment of those by whom and for whose use itself and its powers were created and modified. That basically puts the credence, the words of the founder who started this whole movement that, yeah, don't sue just civilly disobey and say no in our state legislators because even our federal Congress doesn't have the right to do something. They can't create the law. A lot of liberals are saying, okay, well, if if Biden can't do it, we'll have Congress do it because we control. No, even they can't mandate something that wasn't authorized to them. Well, I would actually take, you know, what Jefferson said, think about it. If Congress cannot do what is not authorized, 
where do the courts get that? Because the federal courts are just as much a creation of the Constitution as Congress is. Now, I'm not saying there's not a position to to sue because the, the part of the problem is we have been so miseducated, so indoctrinated with this not only federal supremacy, but judicial supremacy, we forget the fact that courts don't rule. In fact, whenever you hear someone refer to a court, a federal court ruling, that's immediately wave your hands. No, courts do not rule. They opine. They offer opinions. So for the, the states to go to the Supreme Court and say, listen, this violates our compact. We want you, we want your opinion on this. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if that's all you do, then you've abdicated your responsibility because the Supreme Court has, the first of all, the United States was never delegated the authority to uh, be the ultimate determiners of what the Constitution means. Since that was not a power delegated to the United States and it's not prohibited to the states by the Constitution, that remains with the states. Now, both Jefferson and Madison made the point that a single state cannot nullify a federal law, but a majority of the states can. So when we we look at what's going on and say, you know what, was it 26 states, state governors and attorney generals, attorneys general are suing? Fine. You want the Supreme Court's opinion, but understand that's just an opinion. That's just their opinion. And they've already proven themselves to not know squat about what the Constitution actually says. Uh, just, Just read some of my reviews of SCOTUS opinions and you'll understand these people need a reading comprehension program. All nine of them do. But when the states realize that, wait a second, we created you federal government. We can take you out and create another one just like you. It Then they can, they can stand up and do what their purpose is. And that is to protect their citizens, protect the rights of their citizens. Remember, the declaration says governments are instituted among men to protect our rights. That includes the federal government. That includes our state governments. That includes our local governments. When they stand up and do their job, when they stop cowering as vassals to the government in Washington, D.C., that's when our rights can be protected. It's one of the reasons why I focus so much on uh, so much energy on protect on dealing with local constitutional protections. If my sheriff will protect me and my family, protect our rights here in my county, then I am free to fight in my state house and to fight in Washington for them to protect my rights as well. But if my home ground, if my, if my home base is not protected, how can I spend time going out and, and dealing with the battle lines? If my home depot, my, my, my home base, my supply depot is open to attack. You know, that's very interesting what you said. And and the purpose of, Constitution Day being so celebrated by the America Out Loud Network is for people to read it, learn it, read the writings of the Founding Fathers. I find it very interesting in Jefferson's writing how he says the purpose of a written constitution is entirely defeated if in interpreting it as a legal document, its provisions are manipulated and worked around so that the document means whatever the manipulators wish. He recognized the danger, spoke about it constantly for careful adherence to the Constitution as written, with changes to be made only by amendment, not by torture or twisted by interpretations of any media, any court, anybody outside of the know. And and I also find it interesting when Supreme Courts give opinion statements on the Second Amendment without 
reading the writings and bringing them into their opinion because they don't care about the people who actually created our nation anymore. They don't care. It's, it's not an opinion. You're saying, well, this is what the founders meant. No, go read what they wrote. They'll tell you what they meant. Don't, don't just make it up in your own mind. And that's what we find too much by the courts today. Well, the courts are some of the worst abusers of our rights and of the Constitution. Uh, now, you have to understand courts, especially federal courts, are made up of judges. Those judges were once lawyers, which means they went to law school. And I've asked lawyers for years when they were in law school, did they study the Constitution or constitutional law? And I've had one person in all those years say they actually studied the Constitution. Now, what is constitutional law? It's the opinion of judges. So we now have the courts elevating their own opinions above the actual language of both the law and the Constitution, which is where you get nonsense like um, uh, uh, people talk about uh, scrutiny, right? Strict scrutiny versus moderate scrutiny and what scrutiny should the courts use? Do you know what scrutiny is? It's this theory that came out of the courts that your rights can be infringed upon if government has a compelling government interest. And the level of scrutiny is basically how many hoops the government has to jump through before they've proven they have the authority to infringe on your rights in direct violation of the actual language of the Constitution. You talk about the Second Amendment. It said the second half of that says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It doesn't say shall not be infringed unless there's a public emergency or shall not be infringed unless there's a compelling government interest. It says shall not be infringed. Yet that is one example you say of, well, yeah, but we can infringe in it for this. No, you have violated your oath of office. And what are the most infuriating things from my standpoint are people who say, well, what are you going to do? Federal judges have lifetime appointments. No, they don't. Article three, uh, section one, clause one says the judges of the Supreme and inferior court will serve during good behavior. And trust me, violating your oath of office repeatedly is not good behavior. But we've allowed them to set their own rules contrary to the, the actual law that created them. And then we're, they're, we're surprised when they don't follow the rules we set for them because we've let them play by their own rules. Uh, you know, it, it's so much of the court. I spend a lot of time, especially in the summertime when, when the Supreme Court goes on on vacation, reviewing all the opinions they, they release. And the number of times that I look at it and say, well, first of all, you're quoting yourself, you know, there's other opinions. You're not quoting the law. You're not quoting the Constitution. But the number of times you can see justices say, well, the Constitution says this, but it means that. Or simply forget that it says this. They just say, well, the Constitution means this. And they've been indoctrinated with this nonsense. And that's why I say they need a basic reading comprehension program. Because there's not one of them that couldn't in 20 minutes read the Constitution, and if they had a basic grasp of English, would recognize that the First Amendment only applies to the federal government, not to the state governments, that no, any infringement on a right to keep and bear arms is forbidden, that uh, when, when it says you are securing your person's houses, papers, and effects, that means everything of yours, your, your, your person, where you live, all of your documents, 
Everything you own is to be secure. It's not a question of privacy. It's to be secure from unreasonable searches and seizures. And then goes on to describe what makes most you know, a warrant to make a search reasonable. Since they go through this without punishment, they pay no price for their bad behavior. It's like a, it's like a spoiled brat child. The more you let them get away with their bad behavior, the worse their behavior gets. So now we are, we effectively have an oligarchy where nine priests in black robes dictate to the, all the other governments, the other branches of the federal government, to the state governments, and to the local governments, what laws they will allow to be enforced, which is the actually the first uh, grievance in the Declaration of Independence, our first beef with King George was that he has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. Think of how many laws, state, local laws, even federal laws, that the courts have refused their assent to. And even though that has no legal bearing whatsoever, in other words, the, the, the president is not required to follow what the court says, not in the Constitution, doesn't say it anywhere, but we've been so ingrained that you must do what the court says. We have literally turned them into an oligarchy that rules our lives rather than living in a free republic. You know, I find it really interesting. I'm just going to give a couple facts for the Constitution. We'll take a break. We'll, we'll get back on the flip side. But most people don't understand that everybody who signed the Declaration of Independence didn't sign the Constitution. Actually, okay. only six people who signed the Declaration of Independence signed the Constitution. And Jefferson's signature did not appear on the Constitution because, of course, he was serving as a minister to France during the time of the Constitutional Convention. He stayed in close contact with John Adams and wrote about his thoughts, and he had spent time prior to this. But when he returned, he was created six months after the Constitution took effect. He was appointed as the first Secretary of State. So there's a lot of misconception of whose name's on the Constitution, who did what with the Constitution. And you're listening to Tim Alders and the Disciples of Liberty with our guest, Paul Engel. He does the Constitutional Study at 4 p.m. on the America Out Loud Network. We are here on Constitution Day trying to wake you up and get you to study and learn the Constitution. Become that disciple. Become that person who understands their rights and liberties and then won't just sacrifice them and let government take them away, folks. It's up to us to be the last stand. The, the, sands, the line's been drawn in the sand. Do we just fall into line and let what God and the Founding Fathers intended for America to just go away? Or do we stand strong and say, no, enough's enough. You have no assigned authority in the Constitution. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care that my state's disobeying. Because ultimately, it's the people in charge. Now, we have elected officials on the state level, the city level, to stand up for our rights. But when they don't, it falls to you, the people of this nation, to say, no, enough's enough. And we will continue this after this short commercial break. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. 
your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty. I'm your host, Tim Alders. Our guest today is Paul Engel, another disciple of liberty, somebody who is out there preaching the Constitution, teaching about the Bible, teaching where your rights truly come from. One of the interesting things about Jefferson is he was in France during the Constitutional Convention, and he wrote a lot of letters to John Adams, to people like James Sullivan in the times he was there. And he wrote a letter to James Sullivan in 1797. This was after. And he said, where a constitution like ours wears a mixed aspect of monarchy and republicanism, its citizens will naturally divide into two classes of sentiment, according to their tone of body, of mind, their habits, connections, and callings. Induce them to wish to strengthen either the monarchy or the republican features of the constitution. Some will consider it as an elective monarchy, which had better be made hereditary and therefore endeavor to lead towards that all, all the forms and principles of its administration. Others will view it as an energetic republic, turning it all its points on the pivot of free and frequent elections. He also said in a letter to Robert Livingston, in 1800, the constitution to which we are all attached was meant to be a republican and we believe to be Republican according to every candid interpretation. Yet we have seen it so interpreted and administers as to truly what the French have called a monarchy. So Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers that were the Anti-Federalists. He was terrified at the government of the United States becoming too powerful. Um, he liked the articles of... Um, the Confederacy, that didn't give them hardly any power. So he was one of the ones fighting for the Bill of Rights. If it wouldn't have been for Mason and, and 
Jefferson and the other anti-federalists like Hamilton, uh, the Bill of Rights wouldn't be here, and we would have probably lost a lot of these liberties centuries ago, you know, 100 years ago. But they've held strong because of what the anti-federalists did. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was like so many things in this country, especially at its founding, there was compromise. There was a recognition that, you know, I've heard it described that a compromise is a situation where nobody gets what they want. Everybody's not happy with the solution, but they can live with it. And the Bill of Rights was one of those compromises. And one of the things I find most interesting is, you know, in, in, in the debates between the Federalists and the federal and the Anti-Federalists, do we need it? Do we not need it? I found it interesting that the, the Anti-Federalists said, listen, if we don't have specific protections in the Constitution, then what's to stop government from infringing on those rights? And the Federalists turned around and said, well, the problem is if we put specific rights in the Constitution, someone's going to get the brilliant idea that we will actually that they can actually regulate those. And both of them have been proven true over the years that that, you know, yes, when given the opportunity, government will run roughshod over your rights. And by putting them in writing, you'll find people who will claim that's their authority to regulate them. Uh, the, the biggest problem is we kind of um, we, we set up this government. We the people, you know, we ordained and established a constitution. The states ratified it to put it in place. We set up this government. And then we kind of sat back and just let it loose like a like Frankenstein's monster without any control over it. Now, at first, it was small and it was not very powerful and it couldn't do much damage. But every time it gained power and the American people did nothing, it could do more and more damage. And it just kept snowballing to the point now where you we have effectively a, a, a king in the making. We have a king in the presidency. Now, Biden is not the first man to act like a king in the Oval Office. We, we, we've got, uh, you know, everybody from uh, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, Obama, Carter, Nixon. Uh, they've all in some way or another, even Reagan, to a certain extent, acted as a king where they would enact orders not based on a, a what Congress said, but simply doing what they thought was best. And we've gotten so used to it. We are that that proverbial frog in the boiling water. We've been so used to it that we don't even recognize how dangerous the situation is today. Because, again, we have effectively, you know, while places like, you know, China and, and Iran uh, and, and other places, while they select their, you know, their, their rulers, their kings, we elect them. We simply turn around and say, oh, I want the, you know, I want the donkey to be my king this time because I didn't like the, the, the elephant that was king the last time. And we forget that when you give someone that much power without any check on it, then what's to stop them? You know, uh, we talked a little bit earlier, you quoted some of Abraham Lincoln's um, address and George Washington's address was quoted, I think, by Malcolm. Many people forget Thomas Jefferson made two. And I love this piece um, that he did in his first. During the throes and convulsions of the ancient world, during the agonizing spasms of infuriated man, seeking through blood and slaughter his long-lost liberty, 
It was not wonderful that the agitation of the billows should reach even this distant and peaceful shore, that this should be more felt and feared by some and less by others, and should divide opinions as to be measures of safety. But every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. We have called by different names brethren of the same principle. We are all Republicans. We are all Federalists. If there be any among us who would wish to dissolve this union or to change its Republican form, let them stand undisturbed as monuments of the safety with which error of opinion may be tolerated where reason is left free to combat it. What Jefferson was saying is that, listen, we're all going to have different opinions. He was an anti-Federalist, yet he's saying we're all Federalists. We're all Republicans. Yet, if any wish to change it from its Republican form, let them go their way. You know, which was different than what Abraham Lincoln did. <laughs> but, yeah. but Jefferson was basically saying this was a compact. It wasn't a contract drawn in blood that if you try to get out of, this wasn't a gang initiation where they beat you to death if you want out. This is where Jefferson was saying, and Jefferson won that election by telling people, I'm going to run on less government. I don't want to do everything for you. <laughs> you know, he basically said, I want a small federal government. I'm not going to take control unless it's in, you know, a threat to our nation. He was basically saying, if anybody wants out, don't stand in their way. Let them out if they don't want to, a Republican form of government. That sentiment no longer exists today. And I think today has shifted because of media and because of not teaching these principles that even the principles are changing in this nation where some believe we should be socialist. Well, let them go. Let New York leave. Let California leave. But we're not going to change our nation for those who don't want our Republican form of government. Well, and, and you brought up in the in the earlier program, you know, the reason we are a union of 50 sovereign states. People forget that. Uh, we, we've been, again, we're, it's so reinforced that a state is a subdivision of the federal government. It is not. The Declaration of Independence said each state has the power to uh, perform commerce, declare war, sue for peace. Each of the states had all these powers. Now, they delegated some of them, some of them. To the federal government, but the, you're, you're right in that the, the the now 50 states are designed. They're supposed to be sovereign, so we're supposed to look and say, "Yeah, okay, California, New York, you want to be socialist paradises? Go for it." But you cannot impose on the remaining states the cost of your decisions. See the 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 idea of of a federalist uh, or the, of federalism is each of the 50 states as far as their domestic affairs are free to do what they want as long as they don't violate the constitution of the United States. As long as they don't violate that Supreme law of the land, go for it, have fun. But what's happened is we've become so we, we we've turned, we've effectively turned States into vassals of Washington. When a state tries something and it doesn't work, they go begging to Washington to save them from themselves. We see it in in you know in New York with with the 
um, uh, all, all of the federal programs to fix the roads and do this and that. We see it in California and the questions about bailouts. All of these are states that are failing, but rather than suffering the consequences of that failure and leading the citizens to say, you know what, this doesn't work. Let's try something else. You know, when when the Plymouth Colony started, they set up a socialist system. People worked, everybody, you know, you, you went out and you worked, you put it in a common food store, everybody drew from the food store, and then everybody, then three quarters of, the, of them starved to death because it didn't work. They suffered the pain of that mistake. They turned around and said, you know what, this doesn't work. Um we are going to change things. We're going to give each person their own plot of land. You do with it. You plant it however you want. You eat from it. Suddenly they thrived. We've removed the lessons of failure from the states. See, we don't learn so much from our successes. We learn from our failures. You think of a, you think of a child when they're first learning to walk. It's not the actual steps that teach them. It's the falling down that teaches them. And we've prevented the states from suffering those consequences. Now, by the way, it's not just the states. It's certain favored large corporations. They can make all the foolish mistakes that they want, but they're never required. When they, it's time for them to face the consequences of that, the federal government comes and bails them out, which is why they act like spoiled children, because in effect, they are. They've been, they've been so pampered and, and protected and bubble wrapped from their mistakes, they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again because they never suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. You know, Paul, I'm going to pose a question that most constitutional scholars never talk about out of one of Thomas Jefferson's writings. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's always been in my mind, and I think about this, while he was in France and the uh, Constitutional Convention was going on, he wrote a letter to James Madison. Um, to paraphrase, in this letter, Jefferson asked whether or not one generation of men has the right to bind another, either in the form of financial debt or political obligation to obey a constitutional laws not contracted by the individual. He came to a surprising conclusion that any constitution, even the American, has to lapse roughly after every generation, actually based on his calculations every 19 years since it was first signed and ratified. Thus, the American constitution, he surmised, should have become null and void in 1808. Nobody ever talks about this. And in that letter, he wrote... That I say the earth belongs to each of these generations during its course fully and in its own right. The generation receives its clear of debts and encumbrances of the first and third of the second and so on. For if the first could charge it with a debt, then the earth would belong to the dead and not the living generation. Then no generation can contract debts greater than they can pay back in their own lands during their lifespan. Now, the lifespan has increased, of course. But technically, the state should have been voting under his concept on re-ratifying the Constitution every 19 years. Yeah, you know, is that where he talks about um, uh, the, the tree of liberty being bathed in blood? 
Yes, it's it's a very long letter. I mean, yes. printed out in eight point, it is about four pages long. And you could tell it was really on his mind because he was watching what was happening in France at the time. Yeah. He, and, he basically mo- said every law would expire at the end of the person who made it because how do we have a right to mandate somebody else's future? There's also a question of practicality, right? So uh, like you said, if every 19 years you have to get an ever-increasing number of states to adopt all these parts of the Constitution, the Constitution would effectively get, effectively get rewritten every few years. Now, one one sec, just to clarify, this was never enacted. This was just Thomas Jefferson's thoughts. This is his musings, right? And um, I think the compromise that was made, see, one of the issues with the Articles of Confederation was there was no mechanism for amending it. There was no mechanism to go in and say, oh, we, we made a mistake here, let's fix it. It's one of the reasons why it had to be, it was set aside and we now have a constitution, which has an article five that says we now have ways of amending it, which kind of gives Jefferson the opportunity for what he wants without actually forcing it to kind of reset every few years. Uh, you know, it's the, the, the idea that every generation has the authority to modify the constitution uh, the same way we had um uh, you know, in in the 1800s, slavery was still legal. And rather than going through the convulsion of saying, OK, uh, you know, we're going to everyone's going to vote. We're going to rewrite the Constitution every few years. What we have was a mechanism that said, you know what, when we finally figured out that slavery was not only wrong, but it could not be tolerated in this country anymore. We passed the 13th Amendment. And that was the, 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 to me, that was the, the compromise of we need something stable enough that you can plan for the future. You can have a, a, uh, a confidence that your right to freedom of speech is not going to disappear every few years uh, or potentially disappear every few years with the need to be flexible enough to learn from our past, to learn from history and to adapt to it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because if the Constitution is, uh, is effectively to be readopted every few years, you're getting very close to a democracy, which even Jefferson said is nothing more than mob rule. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the American Constitution, our, our, the Constitution of the United States, is the oldest national constitution in the world. It is second in age only to the Constitution of Massachusetts. It has survived that long because we could modify it. We could recognize mistakes we had made or or things we had left out and enshrine them within the Constitution. But something very interesting happened, and that is we stopped actually modifying the Constitution when we saw a problem. When we, you know, as you know, 1913, we modified the Constitution. But think of all the things that have been imposed that people have, have suddenly found, quote unquote, constitutional rights. And rather than going back and saying, we want to add this to the Constitution, we think this is important, we want to add it to the Constitution, they simply bypassed that process and either adopted it via legislation or more often than not adopted it by a judicial edict. 
you know, we, 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 we recognize that the federal government had no authority, uh, this is what, in the 1920s, 20s or 30s, that, that they had no authority to regulate alcohol. So we amended the Constitution to give the federal government the authority to regulate out the sale of alcohol. Then we decided that was a bad idea. So we rescinded most of that power. But we actually went through the process of modifying, amending the Constitution to do that. Now we don't even bother. We just try to get we get some judge to declare this is suddenly a constitutional right, quote unquote, constitutional right. And we ignore that process. We have become more democratic than even Jefferson was talking about with the idea of of readopting the Constitution every every couple of decades. And mind you, Jefferson only threw that out there because he was paranoid at what the French Revolution had become. Oh, yeah. He did and, and not we, want we, to see the fighting in the streets in America. So he wanted to make sure states had the rights to walk away. He wanted to make sure, okay, if we're not going to make it expire every 19 years and after we vote on it, then we need to make it so that the people are fully protected in their rights and that governments can't just take it away on uh, opinion or ideology that they believe in, or even they feel the majority of Americans believe in. They have no power to take it. Yet, the administration today, the administration, when Republicans are in charge, and I'm not going to, to take side, today's is getting worse, but everybody, when they get in charge, Republicans or Democrats, want to force their beliefs on everybody else through courts. Absolutely. You know, and here's the interesting point. Uh, another Jefferson quote. He said, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. Yet what have we become? We have become a nation of ignorant citizens. See, I, And again, I can't read Jefferson's mind and, and what was behind him, what behind his, his thought process. But a lot of it, isn't it having the people involved and engaged? And if you find something you're involved with, you want to be educated about it. You want to be involved in it. We've lost that. Uh, as, I, as I've already said, you know, most Americans, they have no clue. What, most lawyers have no clue what the Constitution says. Um, we are ignorant of how government is supposed to work. We are ignorant of our rights and liberties, yet we expect to be free. This has never happened, and this never will happen. It, it's one of the reasons why... I've dedicated my life for the last several years to this idea of educating the people, regardless of no matter what problem we see in government and society in America today. um, And no matter what fix people think will, 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 will magically fix everything, will resolve all these problems. I talk about things like budget control, term limits, spending limits, um, you know, Take any solution you want. If we do not have an educated people electing people to office, none of it matters. It is not the Constitution that has failed. It's the American people who have failed the Constitution. We have failed to do our part to hold our representatives accountable for their actions and for their inactions. We have been ignorant of the processes that not only are there that are actually designed in of how the government is supposed to run, but the corruption of those processes, things like, you know, we're, we're coming up on a, on a midterm election, 2022, there's going to be another election, which means 
we're going to have primaries. Now, what is a primary? A primary is a state-funded private election. Political parties are private organizations. They are not part of government. They are not quasi-government. They're not NGOs. They are private clubs. Yet they have their elections for their champions funded by the taxpayer. Why? Why does the PAC taxpayer pay for a private organization to limit their choices come the actual election day? See, we're not, we're not, we're ignorant of the processes that have corrupted the election process. Therefore, you know, we are not as free as we think we are. You know, people always talk about how the founding fathers made mistakes. Some some liberals even say, well, Thomas Jefferson didn't sign the Constitution because he wasn't happy with it. Even in his first presidential address, he said it's the best document that's ever been created other than the Bible. So uh, that that's false. The mistake, I believe, the founding fathers made is believing that energy, every generation would be involved politically as theirs were. You know, and it it dwindled off after that because people, and this is what they feared. Washington, Madison, even Hamilton, they feared that people would start placing so much trust in the government. Because listen, I hire a guy to manage my new restaurant and it's going great. I'm overseeing him. I'm watching him every day. He knows I'm there every day. And then all of a sudden I drop down to five days a week or four or three. And then I just disappear altogether. And he starts taking food, uh, taking money from the till, uh, doing things that are destroying the business. And then by the time I discover it, it's too late to save the business. And I, I say that because I'm a business consultant, one of the things I do. This is sort of what we did with America. We were so involved at the start. We watched it. We held him accountable. We talked to him. And then, okay, well, they're doing an okay job. I don't have to watch as diligently. So we backed off a little bit and then we backed off a little more. And now here we are today and the majority of people, not the majority, I wouldn't even say, but a large percentage of people don't even know what's going on in the nation. They just believe what the media tells them. Oh, I'd say that's the vast majority of people. And, and I, I, here, here's, my, here's my, my, my proof point. Let me ask you a question. How can you tell when a politician is lying? When he opens his mouth. Almost every time I ask a question, I get some variation of they open their mouth, their lips are moving right. Now, this is pretty, you know, this is a, hey, it's a, it's a politician joke. It's meant to make them look bad. But think of what it means. It means that the majority of the people in America, the majority of the citizens that bothered voting, knowingly voted for someone that is lying to them. And not only that, they not only do they hire someone who's lying to them, the person that lies to them the best is the one we keep around the longest. That truism is not a ding on the political class. That to me is a ding on the American people that we knowingly hire liars, thieves, and crooks, and we knowingly keep them in place. To take your analogy, it's not a question of, hey, I hired a restaurant manager and he did pretty good for a while. We went out and found the head of the local crime boss, the crime family, and we put them in charge of our restaurant. And we watched while they they stole food, they intimidated the employees, they they abused the customers, they stole money. But we but every time they came up for a job review, we said, good job, do it some more. 
That's the state of the American people. Well, folks, happy happy Constitution Day. This wasn't even long enough. We did the first hour together on The Voice of a Nation. We did this hour, Paul, and it's just not enough. We need to talk about the Constitution every day. How you can help share this show on all your social media, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook. Share Paul's. If you don't like my show, go to Paul's. You know, he might... Uh, be more your flavor, but there are great hosts all over America out loud trying to save this nation, trying to give you the voice you feel you've lost, but we can't do it alone. You know, I would love to say, let's all show up at capitals and, and fight this mandatory vaccine, but I'd show up alone. We have to get to a point. We have to be able to contact each other and back each other up and defend this nation. And this is where we have to go. Until next time, folks, you've been listening to the Disciples of Liberty. Make sure you're tuning in to the America Out Loud Network. It's important. It's critical that we do this. Until next time, take care.